This is A Word, a podcast from Slate. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. Black neighborhoods are in crisis and have been for decades. The ravages of poverty, disinvestment, and neglect push out families, paving the way for further decline or for gentrification. But there are people who are rebuilding those communities by hand and teaching others to do the same. Imagine what we could do if the city was really behind this redevelopment stuff. The mission of Black Women Build coming up on A Word with me, Jason Johnson. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to A Word, a podcast about race and politics and everything else. I'm your host, Jason Johnson. Baltimore is the home of the Ravens, groundbreaking shows like The Wire and some of the best crab cakes in America. I swear by this. It is also ground zero for an American urban housing crisis. The numbers are staggering. Baltimore streets are lined with 15,000 vacant homes and twice as many as that are considered at risk of vacancy. These abandoned houses are an environmental hazard, a breeding ground for crime and an economic drag on jobs and opportunities. While government officials say it would cost billions to address this, Shelley Halstead has been building solutions and rebuilding homes and communities with her own hands. Her organization, Black Women Build, is revitalizing neighborhoods block by block and giving black women the tools to reach the American dream. And she joins us now. Shelley Halstead, welcome to A Word. Oh, thank you so much. I really appreciate the invitation. You're like a modern day renaissance woman. You were a forest firefighter, a union carpenter, a corporate attorney. That is an awesome resume and sounds like a Fox TV series. What inspired you to start Black Women Build and what's the mission of the organization? Black Women Build is a home ownership and wealth building initiative. And we train Black women in trades-related skills, and we do that by restoring vacant and deteriorated houses, and primarily in West Baltimore at the moment. You know, there's a lot of financial literacy happening. There's a lot of community building happening. I always like to say I can build houses all day long, but if you don't care about your neighbor, it doesn't stick. So we really want to build community with whom you work and where you live. What kind of training does Black Women Build offer in the community, and how does it put women on the pathway to home ownership? Are you teaching people how to build houses from scratch? Are you teaching people how to repair homes? What's the actual training? We've been doing gut rehabs, and so we basically are getting shells with, I don't know, trees growing out of them, and you know the roof has collapsed into the basement. So those are the kinds of homes that we're restoring. We have a crew of subs that come in and do kind of that heavy lifting, doing all the, you know, the mechanical, electrical plumbing, like the rough in. Then we step in. And that is basically anything from painting, like installing insulation. Then you have floors, doors, windows, trim, cabinets, siding, tiling. You know, we install fixtures for plumbing so everyone knows how to like change out, you know, sinks and toilets and that sort of stuff. 
So, I mean, as a carpenter, it's definitely carpentry heavy, but we want to demystify what's behind the walls. We want people to not be scared of their houses. And so that's really the gist of it. I mean, I would prefer to see more of our participants turn toward the trades, but I think mostly they want skills to maintain the home but they don't necessarily want to be tradeswomen, which of course I find unfortunate because it's allowed me to do so many things and actually to start this nonprofit. What are the requirements for the women to join the program? Like, do they have to own a home already? Do they have to have a certain amount of savings? Do they have to be somewhere in the home buying process? So we want you to buy the house when we're done building it. So there is that process, right? So that's the home buying process that we need for you to be able to be working toward and working through as we work on these houses. So what that includes is having a 640 credit score. It's having $2,500 in savings. And that could be, you know, while you're in the program. And we do have a program manager that helps you, that we sit down and we help you budget. We help you save. We're going to help you out while you're working. You have to be a first-time homeowner, right? So what we, we really want to build wealth, like generational wealth. And we do that through home ownership. We want you to have some idea about what you want in a community or how you've actually engaged with community before. We want you to to really be open to being a good neighbor and learning how to do that. So, I mean, that's kind of it. There's not really an age thing, you know, or requirement, but we want people who haven't owned houses before and that are into being part of something bigger than themselves. Do you find that a lot of the applicants are, you know, are they fresh out of college and they're like, you know what, I know I want to be in Baltimore. Is it older women? Is it single mothers? Are people partnered? What are some of the demographics of the women who come to your program? I think the youngest would be 27 and the oldest is pushing 60, maybe a little into into the 60s. So we have sort of two tracks at this point. One is, let's say you have a career, you know, you're like, I cannot take this time in order to build because we work Monday through Thursday, 9, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., right? Not, not everybody can do that. So that's usually someone who's more of a wage earner who has a schedule that they can shift, right? Like you can work in the evenings, you can work on the weekends. We seem to have like Amazon fulfillment people, server, certified nurses assistant, like that demographic. And then we also have people who have nine to five job careers. And for those folks, they are taking classes with a sister organization, Station North Tool Library, just give a shout out to them. And so we partner with some other folks in order for them to get the skills training in. We work with No Boundaries to do the block captain training so that they know how to engage better with basically systems and bureaucracy with the city. And so those folks, they will be doing those classes and coming to us for their financial literacy classes. And then they are able to buy one of our houses. We actually have more houses than we have participants. And I just want to not, you know, I say run through them, which sort of makes people think you're just slapping it together. But that is not the case. We build beautiful houses because they're affordable doesn't mean that they're not beautiful. We're going to take a short break and we come back more on Black Women Build with founder Shelley Halstead. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it 
a real POS. You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. You're listening to A Word with Jason Johnson. Today, we're talking about revitalizing struggling neighborhoods with Shelley Halstead, founder of Black Women Build. So, Shelley, there are dozens of government programs that are supposed to target first-time homebuyers, but the process can be really confusing for a lot of people. What makes Black Women Build different from state or federal government programs? And how long is the process that women tend to go through from the beginning of their application to hopefully moving into a home in your program? To answer the last part of the question, it depends. You know, somebody might not be like they might fill out an application and then it's really up to them to follow the steps that we provide. But let's say that they are able to get into the program. Once they begin building our builds, the goal is to finish the house in four months, the houses. We try to do three at a time. I'm very motivated. So once we get our use and occupancy, our UNO, city comes out, says, yes, everything's good. Now this house is habitable. Once we get the UNO, the woman is supposed to apply for the loan. So all of this should be set up so that by 45 days after UNO, they close. Has this ever happened? No. You know, humans are humans. People are people. Everybody's trying their best. And, but, you know, they do close. But sometimes it's we're waiting for, say, subsidy, right? So like first-time homeowners get some help, some down payment and closing cost assistance. And so when you apply for that, no shade, but the city is notoriously slow for funding things. Any grant you get is very difficult to squeeze out of the city. That's one of the things that slows things down. But honestly, it might be six months, it might be eight months, right? The whole process of building and then buying the house, closing on the house. The government programs are things like the Community Development Block Grant, right? You get some grants from the city, it's vacants to value. If there's anything left in that pot, some of the lenders have their own little pots of money. So we try to stack as much as we can in terms of the financing help, right? So some people, you know, they'll get about 35, 40 grand in help. Other folks, it might be 20. It just depends on what pots are full and which ones are empty. Those are actually loan forgiveness, those grants. So there's a soft second on the house, right? So you have to stay in the house five years. You're getting that much subsidy. We want to build community and we're going to help you but you got to help us, right? You got to stay in the house. You got to have that commitment to being a part of the community. I don't know city, federal, like really what they're doing in terms of really supporting the home buyers once they get in the house, which is so important that they feel supported, that we're, we're building on blocks where there aren't really any people or very few people. So nobody's buying a house in the middle of a sea of vacants and rehabbing it for a first time home ownership. Like it's just, you wouldn't do that. It's not, honestly, it's not safe. That's why we're doing blocks at a time because we want everybody around there to know their neighbors. It helps people stay. When I drive through Baltimore and I have to drive through the entire city 
uh, when I go to work on campus, heading to Morgan State University, and I see you know, whole blocks of areas, as you're talking about, where it's an entire block of, of ghost homes that aren't filled in. What inspired you to do this particular kind of program? Because there are lots of ways that people try to help in the community in Baltimore, but building houses is a very unique way. What inspired you to do this in particular? I've always wanted to create space with people. I lived on an ashram and I lived in a commune and I've like, you know, done like sort of stuff like that Well, when I was younger. And I actually probably would do it now again, but I wanted to create that space. I wanted to have that collective feel. And in order to do that, I just really wanted to bring together the two things. And I know it doesn't quite make sense for some folks, but it's like, the carpentry skills I have, I had excellent training as a union carpenter, right? And so understanding how to build is very important. At least it is for me, right? If I'm going to do this type of work. And then the legal training, the law degree, honestly, it made me a better writer and, and able to articulate the things that I see or the things that I thought I could change. I think that was really helpful, to be honest. For other people, I think it it showed them like the bureaucracy, you know, white collar folks that I could jump through hoops that they are familiar with. They're not familiar with going through an apprenticeship training, but they certainly understand getting a four-year degree and then going and passing the bar. And you know what I mean? That sort of understanding was very helpful. Why Baltimore? Because it's an incredible city. It's a beautiful city. I love uniformity. So I'm like, oh, rows and rows of row homes. Oh my God. You know, and I'd always romanticized you know, Baltimore is like this, I always say hard scrabble, like working class, black town, like, and the greats that came out of Baltimore, civil rights movement. And so I got here, or I actually, I was in DC and I was like, man, DC, not my speed. Like coming up the road, oh my God, there's so much potential here. I mean, like that's, that's really it. Like there's so much potential and I'm always like not extractive, right? Like I'm not taking this and, and flipping houses, no shade to flippers, but not flipping houses, right? Taking it back to DC. You know, the people we're hiring, they're from Baltimore. The money it's circulating in Baltimore. The residents are from Baltimore. They've lived here long enough that they really want to build something. And so that's the potential, the human potential. It's, it's, it's the physical potential of this city. And I don't know, that's what I saw. I just wanted to put it all together. It's interesting. You know, one of the communities where you've really focused your efforts is the Lawrence Street neighborhood. Can you tell us a little bit about why you focus there? Like, what's the history of Lawrence Street? Why have you put a lot of your attention there? Druid Heights and Upton, these two neighborhoods, is that's where Lawrence Street sits. It actually straddles one. If you're on one side, you're in Upton. If you're on the other side, you're in Druid Heights. But the history of the civil rights movement is born out of actually out of Marble Hill, which sits in Upton. But it's like there's so much that happened there. These communities were from working class to upper middle class black folks. So our first block is on Edding Street. And those are like smaller alley houses. People that live there, you know, would go work over in Bolton Hill and in other areas of town. I think if there's something to the working class neighborhood the pride of folks there, and this is historical, right? And pride actually now, but like wanting to rebuild that. Lawrence is is really, it's a microcosm of so much that's happening and or happened and is happening in West Baltimore. And trying to grow, you know, like have this center 
and then trying to grow out of out of these blocks so that we're taking blocks and then another you know another block or two over we'll do another block so that you know I don't know by the end of this year we'll have I don't know maybe 30 houses complete 25 30 houses like we want to rebuild these neighborhoods like fully We're going to take a short break. We come back more about Black Women Build with founder Shelly Halstead. This is A Word with Jason Johnson. Stay tuned. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible because we're already doing it all while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. You're listening to a word with Jason Johnson. Today we're talking with nonprofit leader, Shelly Halstead, founder of black woman build in Baltimore. You've talked about this a bit, but I want you to sort of barrow down on this particular issue. What's the difference between what you do and people who flip houses? The quality, for one. I mean, we're, we're doing historical preservation, like we spend money on that. We're really about, again, building community. We're not in it for the dollar. We're not trying to, again, be extractive. We're not taking money from people for a product that you can kind of get anywhere. In some ways, it has to be about the bottom line, but it's not about the bottom line. It's about creating something that more people want to do. We're not trying to move people out of the neighborhood. We're not trying to make the most out of whoever. We really want to build back communities. And I think house flippers are just looking for the best profit that they can get. How does Black Women Build fund itself? Do you accept donations? Is somebody listening right now, could they go to a website and give you money? Is it mostly block grants? Is it money from you know, Lowe's and and construction companies that are like, hey, this is a good idea. How do you fund Black Women Build? We get donations. You know, I write grants. So foundations, individuals, city and state have been our biggest funders through those grants, like the Community Catalyst Grant. And then that's through the city and then the state. They have like the Baltimore Regional Neighborhood Initiative called Bernie. And then also we, we sell the houses. You know, that money's coming back to us. Started at a loss. We're starting to even out because honestly, we can't sell them for what we put in. The appraisal, it doesn't work. We would never get them appraised for what we put into them. The more we build, the more we sell, the more we are changing the appraisals. They're slowly inching up so that, you know, we can hopefully even it out. But it's mostly, I mean, it's donation based. Absolutely donation based. And you can find it on the website. I mean, website, blackwomenbuild.org. Check it out. You know, I always like to end the interviews on either something optimistic or something positive. Wait, what's your vision for Black Women Build over the next three to five years? Is it is it having an organizer from Cleveland come down and shadow you for a year and say, hey, I'd like to take this program to Cleveland? Is it is it having a consistent grant maybe from HUD where it's like, hey, we can just do this? I've had a vision since I really thought about this, and it is actually very, very expansive. It is more money, more women, more houses. And my idea was that we would have our own crew of Black women 
rehabbing these houses, that we would have women that are doing bathroom and kitchen remodels and that there's like a worker collective happening, right? Like profit sharing stuff that we are doing blocks and blocks, right? Yeah. That something like Home Depot or Lowe's would be like, oh yeah, we want to help you with materials. We buy all of our materials. Nobody donates materials. Maybe I'm just, I'm working. Like, you know what I mean? Like it would be great. I need someone to go out and talk to Home Depot or Lowe's apparently, but yeah, I mean, it's expansive. I mean, you know, it's Black Women Build Baltimore. Could it be Black Women Build Cleveland? Absolutely. I'm trying to dial it in, but it is really about creating an opportunity for these women to either be homeowners, right, or do something different that they thought they wouldn't do, and that might be the the trades. I can't tell you we're going to do 500 houses. I have no idea, but I do know that every house we build will be a beautiful home for someone. Shelly Halstead is the founder of the nonprofit Black Women Build in Baltimore. Shelly Halstead, thank you so much for joining us today on A Word. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. And that's A Word for this week. The show's email is a word at slate.com. This episode was produced by Ayana Angel. Ben Richmond is Slate's Senior Director of Podcast Operations. Alicia Montgomery is the Vice President of Slate Audio. Our theme music was produced by Don Will. I'm Jason Johnson. Tune in next week for a word. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.